Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress them on the third date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance, too, with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Now at your service. Welcome to the St. Louis Composting Garden Hotline with Mike Miller on the voice of St. Louis KMOX. Yes, folks, thanks for stopping by. We'll be taking a good gardening stroll shortly, but right now, 314-436-7900 or 1-800-925-1120. If you have questions, concerns, or comments about your plant material, as you just heard Brian Kelly say, how hot it's going to be. And Brian, when it gets that hot, what do you guys do? Stay inside. (laughs) (laughs) Actually, we're moving next weekend. Oh, and it's going to be supposed to be in the mid nineties on Saturday and Sunday. So, uh, yeah, it'll be uh, it'll be an interesting week, that's for sure. So, you guys actually going to do any of the moving yourself, or you have? Yeah, a- we we've rented a truck, and we have some uh, young relatives who will be helping us move. Oh, you're kidding! James O'Sullivan has volunteered to come over, haven't you? Fairly <laughs> <laughs> not. So yeah, we're going to, you know, we're going to move some smaller stuff during the week and then we'll have the the big move on the weekend. So it's going to be a hot one. So your sure. new home has an air conditioner, I'm assuming. Well, I hope so. Is it on? <laughs> I hope it works. <laughs> you better crank it. <laughs> we're going to find out right away, that's for sure. And, you know, just out of curiosity, you were saying that you guys baked some things yesterday, some beets and uh, sweet potatoes? Yeah, that's how we do it. We always uh, we put the sweet potatoes and, and Sue with the beets. She'll take a, uh, an, uh, an oil and a balsamic vinegar, balsamic vinegar mixture, and put them on the beets and wrap them in foil and put them in the oven. And we can do them at the same time as the sweet potatoes, put them in there for like an hour. And then after you turn it off, you can leave them in there for a while. Sometimes days. And uh, they're excellent. They're so good. And the beets that we grew, we had a couple last night, and they were just amazingly good. Well, the reason why I was asking is turning on the oven when it's this warm is kind of intense. Yeah, we probably won't do that. If we do it, it'll be at night. We'll we'll cook like a whole week's worth, and then we can. Yeah, (laughs) because we're not going to. We probably won't be doing that when it's 100 degrees out. That's grilling time. That's when you go out and put on the grill. Go out and sweat. Exactly. (laughs) Here we go. Yes. Well, thanks, Brian. You bet. Good to see you. And uh, it is Saturday morning, and we can get together and discuss what's going on in your landscape or your houseplants. Oh, even your houseplants inside, how are they doing? Uh, What do you need to do this time of year? When it's this hot, you shouldn't be doing too much in your yard, to be honest with you, because it's very intense. Certainly don't be doing any transplanting. Even the installation of new plant material could be a little bit iffy because of the forecast 
with those temperatures being that high. But uh, you watch them closely, and sometimes it's not just necessarily the amount of water that you're doing. It's other factors as well. Sometimes when it gets really hot, people have a tendency to overwater, and that causes more problems than if they were underwatered. And this is your show, and I appreciate you inviting me into your home car or wherever you happen to be listening. Another very important player is James. He's producing today, so when you call, he will answer the phone, and when he's not answering the phone, he's pushing and buttons and all that other stuff so you can hear me. I'm Mike Miller. I've been doing the Garden Hotline since 1994, and I can come to your home and do a landscape consultation if you'd like for me to do one. I call them a walk and talk. You can go to my website, MikeMillerDesigns.com, and on the homepage, there's my email address and phone number. Today after the show, I'm headed towards Chesterfield off Clarkson. Well, let's get moving. Today's stroll is brought to you by St. Louis Composting, 636-861-3344. Market and Tucker on the northeast corner. Civil Courts Building. Some of the street trees along Tucker, hmm, not doing so well. Some are doing fairly well. So oh, just uh, it's a tough life for street trees just in general, especially in a circumstance downtown. And uh, there's large concrete planters along the, right along Tucker. Colorful combinations, things from cannas to coleus, mandevilla vines to begonias, and much, much more. There's just in this... You know, the entrance plaza to the Civil Courts building, it's uh, where the concrete of the sidewalk meets the granite and slate surfaces. There's going to be benches and cutouts, and the cutouts that are planted have feather reed grasses. They meet with the boxwood. Then there's flowering pears. It's hard to believe that there's still some flowering pears downtown. And uh, they've got fruit on them, so that just sort of indicates... Remember, we had those great white flowers earlier on. They've been pollinated, and now we've got these little tiny pears. Uh, not edible, but, I mean, they're really the size of a pea. And uh, there's all kinds of other stuff going on. When I'm sta- out there making some notes, gosh, it seems like mufflers have become just totally outrageous as far as car mufflers being so ridiculously loud. One car went by, and I could, I mean, it was Gave me almost an instant headache. But anyway, enough of that stuff. In the plaza, too, there's going to be some Wygelias mingled together. And the central focal point is a statue of a St. Louis police officer. And it reads in memory of the St. Louis police officers who have given their lives in performance of their duty. And it lists all the officers that have died performing their duties. First one was in 1863. And the last one was in 2020, whose name is there. There may have been some since then, but uh, none listed there. And the care of the statue is provided by the St. Louis Police Foundation. The flags on the pole, there's a city flag, there's a state flag, and stars and stripes. There is a sign in the plaza area that says, no skateboarding or bicycle riding. On the east side of the building, of the civil courts, that's across basically where 11th Street is, you can see the Sarah sculpture, and the Sarah sculpture is part of that walk, I guess, March for Lives. It's going to be happening today starting at 11 o'clock. So it's going to be from there down to Keener Plaza. And it looks like the Memorial Plaza on the back side of the building is getting updated with some kind of, I can't tell what it is, it's still pretty early, 
But there's still there were several workers out there working this morning, and it was really kind of amazing to see, you know, that there's doing something on the backside, which has been kind of the same thing for quite a while. But anyway, the sun was rising. As I looked at the arch, it's always this spectacular looking down Marcus Street towards the arch. And that sort of signals it was time to go. So Mike Miller, KMOS Garden Hotline, 314-436-7900 or 1-800-925-1120. Back after these messages. News, talk, sports. The voice of St. Louis, KMOX. Open, folks, 314-436-7900 or 1-800-925-1120. We'll start off the day going over to Sue's yard. Hi, Sue. Well, hi there, Mike. Hi. Um, I have a small flower bed, and every year I planted impatience, and they grew just fine. They were wonderful. And this year I decided to put some New Guinea impatience in there, and they do not seem to be doing well. And I'm just wondering... If there's, a, you know, what the difference is between the two impatience, like the requirements. And, and I'm just wondering if it's because we've had all this rain and that's why they aren't doing well. Now, I did last week, I did supplement that bed with some traditional impatience and those are doing great. But when I say the New Guineas aren't doing well, I mean, they, some of them have yellow leaves. The flowers don't look good. There's either no flowers or the flowers don't look very bright. Any suggestions? Uh, basically, the New Guinea impatience probably want to have a little bit more sunlight than what the traditional type impatience have had historically. Because apparently this is a fairly shaded area or your impatience historically wouldn't have been doing so robust. And the New Guineas really want to have a little bit more light, and that may be the problem. Okay. All right. Well, thank you. Sure. And then, you know, I mean, with all of them, you can sort of, you know, get some other impatience, the historic varieties that you have, and just sort of blend them in and see what you think. Because, I mean, sometimes when I say these would prefer to have more sunlight, they may, maybe a couple of them will do okay just in that situation. But in the future, just realize that that's what the, you know, circumstance would okay. be. Okay, very good. Well, thank you so much. Okay, thank you. Thanks, Sue. Okay. And it uh, looks like Susan just hung up. So let's, if you look out into your, your landscape this time of year, your warm season weeds, oh, my goodness gracious, they are just really prolific. And I normally do the hand digging and things like that but uh, or hand weeding, but I've – Decided I'm going to get some weed be gone, and I'm starting to do some control from that. And let's head over to Carla's. Hi, Carla. Hey, good morning, Mike. I've got a question for you regarding a young tree I planted. Um, it's in my front yard, and it's got a full sun exposure. It came in about a three-gallon pot with a at least a one-and-a-half-inch bamboo cane support that it was uh, tied to with, like, large uh, twist ties. Mm -hmm. um, when should I remove that? As far as the support? Yes, please. Yeah, you should probably just take it out now. I mean, 
Okay. And does a tree look okay? I mean, as far as health-wise and everything else? Oh, it's growing beautifully. It's just that the support is larger than the <laughs> diameter of the trunk. Right. That's kind of surprising. And, yeah. And the um, my concern is I had a, in past tense, had a house flag on that side of the house. And when we get storms, the wind comes from that direction, and they're strong enough to pull the house flag mount off of the house. Oh. So that's why I was concerned about taking the support out too soon. Right. Well, I'll tell you, the supports are great, and they're really, I mean, a value to getting the plant established. But if the plant is so, if the tree is so tightly, let's say, attached to the support, that it doesn't move in the wind at all, then that's not really helpful at all because that movement in winds is essential as far as helping the tree get established, helping the tree grow and everything else. So if it's created in a situation where it's really just stiff and stuck to that support, then it's not really going to help the, you know, the tree get uh, have the growth that you need to have so it can be you know, all on its own. Okay, so it, it needs to have the, the support removed to facilitate uh, uh, strengthening and growth. Right, and if you feel if you, because of the location that you're you know that you know that you you know are a little bit fearful of not having any support, just take a stake and push it out you know about eight to ten inches away from the tree, and just use like a let's say a bungee cord or something like that that would go all the way around the tree and then around the stake that you've used, and then consequently, then the tree could actually move in the wind. Okay, so movement in the wind. I just don't want to have a strong storm come along and look out and see it, like, laying on the ground or snapped right. off or whatever. But, uh, you yeah. know, the, that that preventing that is actually the movement that happens in the wind. So. That's. I'd be a little concerned that it's just a little bit too tight. Too much. Okay. Right. Well, thank you very much. Sure. Thank you. If you have any questions or concerns, we've got phone lines open, 314-436-7900 or 1-800-925-1120. Some of the annual warm season weeds that are out there that you're going to start to see really kind of explode as far as the growth goes, especially now that it's really getting warm. The spurges, the ragweed, the purslanes, the knotweeds, the lamb's quarter, the carpet weed, crab grasses, barnyard grasses, goose grass, foxtails, and the violets too. So those are the ones that are, they germinated last, when the forsythia was in bloom, and they've been kind of hunkering down, but now they're really kind of taking off a lot especially the spurges. There's several different kinds of spurges and purslanes, too. They're kind of, the spurge is a, a very flat ground cover, weedy type thing. And if you snap the stems on that or the, you know, let's say the growth, you'll see a white milky sap. And they're related to poinsettias, but they're just ugly as heck as far as, but they, I mean, they grow really flat on the ground. Let's head over to Anita's. Hi, Anita. Oh, hey, good morning. Good morning. Um, I, I have two hydrangeas. They are within like uh, under the overhang of the house. They get the morning sun 
Um, I fertilize them both at the same time. The one is a, a little younger than the other. It's a newer plant. Um, but And I don't cut off any of the stalks over winter. And the older plant just won't bloom. The younger plant is blooming, but the older plant, I don't know what to do. How old is the older plant? Um, eh, maybe more than five years old, but I wouldn't say older than 10. Because, mm. you know, once they get up to the double digits, some of the varieties sort of lose their ability to flower. So, in other words, they can do the foliage and everything else, but they just don't have that whatever surge because it sounds like you're taking care of them just like you should as far as fertilizing and watering and everything else. And uh, if it's not flowering, it's just an age factor more so than anything else. Okay. So I just enjoy the greenery or I, if I really want it to flower, I take it out and get a new one. I right. It, it, or the, get a new one and maybe you know, plant it in close proximity and, uh, you know, then you'd have both of them together, the historic one and the one that's going to give you some flowers. Do you know what? Yeah, because this one is easily like four foot wide. Maybe it is older than 10 years. Yeah. But I, I, <laughs> that kind of sounds like, uh, you know, it's some of the varieties just go, you know, they sort of like, let's say, poop out. But like the oak leaf hydrangea, I mean, that can go on for decades and keep flowering very, very well. Sometimes the PG hydrangea, that's the one that blooms in the springtime with the white round balls of flowers, uh, it, it sort of runs out of energy too. So some of the varieties, and then the newer ones, the repeat repeat bloomers, they have a tendency to you know keep blooming and blooming and blooming. Now some of the varieties are relatively new, so we don't know how they're going to do once once they're ten or plus years old. Oh, but gotcha. they seem to be you know pretty good right now. So the ones that bloom and bloom and bloom all summer, which, um, and my mother had a hydrangea, and I guess it was a different variety. It was, she had a couple of them in the yard. My dad whacked them off in the, I thought he whacked them off in the winter, but maybe it was the spring, and they just would come back every year and bloom all summer long, and and none, I've never had that luck. (laughs) (laughs) Well, as for, I mean, Hydrangeas, we sort of like put that word together, and there are so many different varieties, and it's just, it makes it, uh, so, and each one, you know, needs a little bit of different care to to get the best results out of it. Okay, so I should, next time I buy one, when I go to the nursery, specify what I want, and hopefully they can put me in the right direction. Exactly right. Go online, decide, you know, which variety is the best for you, and then find out which varieties that they have. Take a couple of potential, you know, purchases with you as far as name-wise, so in case they don't have the one that you have or that you're searching for. Okay, sounds great. All Thank right. you. Sure. All right, bye. And now let's head over to Nan- to Nancy's yard. Hi, Nancy. Hey there. How are you? Good. Uh, we ha- are lucky enough to be having the fiber optic cable being. Um, installed in our neighborhood, and they've come in and uh, actually dug up like probably 18 inches deep, four feet long and a foot wide um, trenches in our yard. They pulled the cable, put it all back. Um, We put the sod back down. It was all in one day, and we've been watering it twice a day, once in the morning, once at night, and it's 
turning brown? Is it just in shock, or are we going to have to have sod put in? Uh, was it? I mean, was it really good sod, or was it they just cut up what was green? So, in other words, is was it really lawn, or was it? I don't want to say weeds, but was it weeds instead of real lawn grass blades? Oh no, it was actual lawn. It our lawn looked the best it's ever looked uh, since we've been here for 10 years okay. so <laughs> and do you know what kind of lawn it is is it bluegrass i do not know no so in other words during the winter time is it green or is it tan it's tan okay so this is zoysia so it should be you know do no o- it's not zoysia so yeah, i know it's not zoysia so okay. that's surprising it, it because kind of, of it, green. If it was tan in the wintertime, that kind of indicates that it's a warm-season grass as opposed to a cool-season grass. Okay. Well, I know it's not zoysia, okay. so uh, it probably is bluegrass. I, I'm, not a, I'm not up on that, that stuff. So, But it's just turning brown now, even though you know it was put back in the same day. Right. We've been watering it. And is, do you think it's the shock, or is there something we could put on it to try and save it? Or no, it's if it's turned brown, it's probably a goner. But in essence, uh, what happens is, you know, by cutting the root system and everything else, you're not doing it like a sod farm does. Consequently, right. you know, the, either a fescue or a bluegrass; those are cool uh-huh. season lawns. And they, it's just, you know, they're facing the hot weather, even though it hasn't been all that hot yet. Right. cutting the root system it just sort of sent them downhill oh. okay all righty well that's what we wanted to know thank you so much sure and if you're going to get some new sod uh just realize that it's going to take some care and if you get bluegrass or fescues those are the ones that really go dormant during the summertime they're not going to turn brown or anything but they sure have a struggle through the summer so if you can handle it looking sort of nasty for another couple months, then you know, late August, early September would be the ideal time to put sod down. But if you oh, need it green right now, you need it green right now. Well, if we do put sod down, what is the procedure? Is it, you know, I thought you really had to water sod, you know, multiple times a day, make sure that it's wet. Is that correct? No, or? you don't want to get it too wet because then you're going to, you know, do damage to the root system. In other words, it's going to cause root system rot. So just... Okay. Just, you know, basically, when you go to purchase it, just tell them what your situation is. You should probably turn the soil over that's, you know, you're going to be planting it on. So even though, you know, it has been turned over, work it up, maybe put a little bit of compost in the soil, and then lay the new sod on it. And then just, you know, once, you know, don't water going into nighttime because that's a fungus-type circumstance. So water early in the morning. Okay. All right. Thank you so much. Sure. My pleasure. Mike Miller, KM Wash Garden Hotline, back after these messages. Call from mom. Answer it. Call silenced. Instacart knows nothing gets between you and the game. That's why they make ordering from your couch easy. Stock up today and get all your groceries for the week delivered in as fast as 30 minutes without missing a minute of the game. You have 47 new voicemails. Download the app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. 
It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash recommend today. Find out what's happening with your Redbirds from the manager himself, Oliver Marmel. Sundays at 10.15 on Sports Open Line. And Wednesday mornings at 9.50. The Ollie Marmel Show. I'm excited for not only the club, but for the fans. This is a, this is a special year for sure. On King MOX. Yes, folks, 314-436-7900 or 1-800-925-1120. Let's head over to Mark Shard. Mark, how are you? Uh, hi, Mike. Hi. Uh, I got a question about zoysia grass. Uh, should you bag the grass or mulch the clippings when you mow it? It doesn't. Basically, if you're cutting it on a routine basis and your clippings are relatively, let's say, short, like an inch or around an inch would be the maximum length, then there's no reason to bag it. But if you kind of let it go and then it gets elongated and then when you walk and you've, you're mowing, and even if you've got a mulching mower, then consequently you look back and there's a bunch of, let's say, debris from the grass clippings that you just went all, you know, created, that can cause a fungus problem. So that's where you got to watch out. Oh, okay. Thank you. Yeah. So it's just you know, if you cut routinely and everything else, and also this time of year with the zoysia, your mower blade height should be about three and a half to four inches. Okay. Okay. I think I'll try mulching then. All right. Thank you. Sure. I think uh, Mark had left me an email. My <laughs> unfortunately, I didn't get around to answering, but he called the show, so that worked out perfectly. Let's go now to Liddy's. Hi, Liddy. Hello, Ma. Mike, thanks Hi. for taking my call. Sure. Uh, what's the best fertilizer that I put around lilac bushes in order to get them to bloom? Uh, are are they healthy, wise, and everything else? They're healthy, but they're pretty old. And I pruned it back last fall, and I got just a few blooms this spring. But I wonder. I know I put pine needles around and for mulch, and I know that's not a good thing. No, it's, so I wanted to know what kind of fertilizer to use. Basically, any kind of routine fertilizer, just so it's not fertilizer for acid-loving plants, because that has the the sulfur and that has the iron, and that's not what the lilacs want. And also, if you so prune I, them in the fall, what you did is you pruned off potential flowers for the next spring. So, in other words, oh, okay. the only time you should be pruning lilacs is within a month or two after they finish flowering. That's the only time. Not, you know, in the summer, not in the fall, not in the winter. Well, do they get too old after a while? Well, they do. It's sort of like anything. Anybody, people-wise, you know, pet-wise, plant-wise, once we get to a certain point, then it's like, oh, you know, we're just okay. sort of exhausted. <laughs> Well, thank you for your advice. Sure. 
And again, okay. the lilacs like an alkaline soil, so close, you know, proximity to concrete and driveways or sidewalks and stuff, they don't mind at all. But you want to make sure they're not just too close to the house because then it's just, you know, bad for the let's say the aspect of they don't they're not getting enough light. They really like as much sunlight as they possibly can get. Okay, well, thank you very much. Sure, my pleasure. Now let's go over to Pat's yard. Hi, Pat. Hi, Mike. Hi. I've got a question about galls on the oak trees. This is an old tree. I'm, I'm guessing probably at least 55 years old, something like that. So it's very large. Does it make sense if all the branches are cut off that have galls on them, that would the tree come back? I know you're not supposed to deadhead trees or top them, but... Would that make sense? I mean, could that cause the tree to survive or let it survive? Well, they can survive with the galls. I mean, it's just what it is is the galls generally are going to stay once they hatch out of that lump. That's what that actually is. It's not really the eggs per se, but the eggs are in there. They have a tendency to stay around that same tree. So to come in and, you know, have to do some severe pruning, that's not going to really help the overall health of the tree. So, I mean, that's... Okay, well, yeah, that's what I was wondering. I mean, if it would actually kill it because there's some branches that, um, you know, it looks like they're just totally dead. It's just a branch and you can see the galls on it. Right. So those can be taken like out. I'm sorry? Any of the, any branch that doesn't have any foliage on it, those can be cut, you know, cut and removed. That doesn't hurt the tree. But cutting off, let's say, branches that have foliage on them, that just really kind of makes it for the tree to almost you're you're causing it to uh let's say starve to death because the leaves make full you know food chlorophyll and so if the leaves are you know a lot of the leaves are gone then the overall health of the size of the tree and everything else is going to be impacted adversely okay yeah i'm just trying to figure out they're just so expensive to try to remove right i'm just trying to figure out it you know, if that would make sense to maybe just have all the branches cut off. And that's going to be expensive in its own right. So, I mean, getting rid of the dead branches would certainly help, but that's going to be more of an aesthetic call than anything else. A tree sounds like it's, you know, not in great shape because of age as much as anything. Okay. All right. Well, thanks for your your help. Thank you. My pleasure. And now let's head over to Joan's yard. Hi, Joan. Hi, Mike. Hi. I was wondering... If I use the weed and feed liquid today, would that be safe considering the heat that we're getting next week? I would read the label as far as related to okay. temperature-wise. So even the well, temperature like, today. Nope. So just be cautious of that because that can really do some, you know, some actual chemical burn on the plant material. So just yeah, I know it. you're not supposed to put it on if it's over 90 degrees. Right. So... And but so, I thought, well, it's not going to be 90 today or tomorrow. Well, so. I mean, generally the air temperatures that you hear from the weather people and everything else, those temperatures are taken in the shade. Now, when we're out in the sun, you have to look and you know find out, let's see how hot it is actually out in the sun. Because I, you know, I have AccuWeather. And AccuWeather will you know, give you the temperature in the shade, but also it will give you the temperature in the sun as well, and it's sometimes can be a little bit surprising. Okay, 
All righty. Well, I'll read that label. Yeah, and just be really cautious about, you know, you know, applying it. Okay. Thank you so much. Sure. My pleasure. And now let's head over and go to Carl's yard. Hi, Carl. Hey, Mike. How you doing this morning? I got two quick questions for you. Uh, I put weed and feed on my grass in the spring. Uh, it looked real good. It's doing well. I'm getting a little bit of clover creeping in, and my grass just it doesn't have that green lush look to it. I know that it used to be there were some numbers on the fertilizer, 10, 10, 10, or 12, 12, 12. Is there anything you recommend currently now to put on there just for the grass to boost it? Probably the the best thing you could possibly do. Have you been routinely fertilizing the, your lawn for multiple years? Yes, sir. So with the same type of fertilizer, more or less? Yes, sir. Yeah. What you may have done is caused some real problems with as a result of doing that. Because of phosphorus and potassium, the last two numbers in the fertilizer, those can build up to be hazardous for your lawn just in general. So I would get a soil oh. test done before you do, you know, make any kind of dramatic change or worry about the numbers or anything else. A soil test. What? Go ahead. Oh, a soil test is going to indicate very, uh, numerous factors. Nutrient-wise, it's going to tell you what phosphorus, nitrogen. Nitrogen is always going to be basically zero because it becomes a gas after just a few days of being on the ground or in the ground or whatever. And it's going to tell you the soil pH and everything else. So that would be the indication or that would indicate to you this is the type of fertilizer you should avoid. This is the type of fertilizer you should go after. Okay. I normally use Scott's. What's the first number usually in the in the three number string? First one What's is that? nitrogen. The second one and is phosphorus, the one? and then potassium. Which the, the nitrogen is the one that gives the the grass the boost, is it not? Right, very quickly, okay. and then it becomes a basically becomes you know airborne after just a few days. It becomes a gas and heads up into the okay. air. Okay. Well, one other quick question for you. I got a friend that's wanting to take a yucca bush out of their yard. Uh, what do you recommend how to do that? <laughs> Basically, just be ready to dig deep because they have a very deep tap root. Okay, that's what I wanted to know. Okay. Right. Mike, thank you very much for your program. I appreciate your information and your help. Sure, my pleasure. Mike Miller, KMY's Garden Hotline, back after these messages. This is the St. Louis Composting Garden Hotline with Mike Miller on the voice of St. Louis KMOX. Yes, folks, back to the phones we go. Hi, Rita. How are you today? Hello. Hi. Hi. Uh, I have, uh, um, Mike, I have a question. I received two uh, rhododendron plants. One is a tropical and and the other is a a one you can plant in the ground uh, in here in our area. And um, I wanted to know what kind of fertilizer to use for those plants and... uh, if you have any other information on them. Basically, planting the one outside, you know, just make sure that you put it in a location that's not too close to any kind of concrete at all because they need an, an acidic circumstance, and the alkalinity of the concrete will cause problems for your rhododendron or really any kind of broadleaf evergreen. Fertilizing-wise, you need to get a fertilizer for acid-loving plants, and uh, they just need to be... You know, plant when they're plant. I don't know if you planted it yet, but you have to plant the one that's going outside uh, with about twenty uh, percent of the root ball oh, higher well, than the surrounding oh, ground. 
you know what, Mike? I gave you the wrong name. My husband just came. He, he says it's a hibiscus that I have, not a rhododendron. Oh. <laughs> I'm sorry. <laughs> That's a totally different world. So oh, a hardy hibiscus, they're, pretty, they're tough, they're durable. They oh. can handle lots of different situations. And I don't know if you have like Disco Bell or one of those that have the huge flowers on it. And then you it have the, have the tropical pot. one. Uh, so mm-hmm. completely different circumstances. But again, planting the hibiscus outside so the the top of the root ball is above the surrounding ground is going to be helpful for both of them. And then it is fertilizing. If they're in flower, go ahead and just fertilize routinely. And uh, especially the one inside and, the, you know, the tropical one inside also realizing that when winter comes around, a lot of the leaves are just going to drop off, and it's probably going to potentially could stop flowering. And then, obviously, the one outside is going to be more or less deciduous. It's going to lose all its leaves, go totally dormant, head down, and survive through the end of the root system and some of the stems for the wintertime outside. Okay. And what kind of fertilizer did you say? Just, Acid yeah, just general all-purpose. It doesn't need all to, purpose. you know, okay. nothing really specific as far as what they need from that your okay. perspective. Thank you so much. Mike. Sure. And with and this is for anybody with fertilizers, I don't like to use the same one routinely over and over and over and over and over again because some, like I was telling the gentleman earlier, some fertilizers with the same numbers to do that routinely for multiple let's say periods of time, it could, you know, cause detrimental impact on the plant material where you thought you're doing good. So Let's go now over to Gloria's. Hi, Gloria. Good morning. How are you doing? Very good. Okay. I got these hydrangeas and I got a whole lot of them. The limelights haven't came out yet, but what kind of fertilizer you really want me to use for these hydrangeas? They're all different kinds. Right. Uh, basically, you can use, just use a general all-purpose fertilizer with them. They don't need anything really all that specific. If you want to rot- you know, use, uh, let's say, just a miracle Grow type thing, that's fine. And then what I would do is probably after whatever size you get with the, with the miracle Grow, if it takes a couple years to finally get, you know, to use it all up, then maybe just switch to a different one. Okay. Uh, I bought this kind of, say, hydrangea that turned blue. But I used it last year, but nothing turned blue. Is that some good hydrangea fertilizer? It's it's fine, but that one has aluminum sulfate, but some varieties of hydrangeas don't turn blue regardless of what fertilizer you use with them. I guess somebody say just paint them. <laughs> <laughs> or if put I on some, blue, the, some uh, blue sunglasses. Yeah, another one more question. My flower bed, I have cabbage, cauliflower, a whole lot of stuff. And a lot of the stems is long, but they not, you know, but they leaning. Do I need to put more compost or dirt or something to get the height, to get them not leaning over? Yeah, if they're leaning over, that means, you know, are they in full sun? Oh, yeah, full sun, all day by my deck. It might be just, you know, the variety-wise or anything else, but they shouldn't be elongating and and bending over. But, you know, with the cauliflower and things like that, they're, you know, they're not exactly real easy to grow here. Okay, well, the cabbage and stuff, and the lettuce and stuff, all that's coming up, but the cauliflower is not doing good. Right. So I would kind of just stay away from that. Well, I'm going to leave my out there until the weather is over. Oh, there. sure. Thank you. 
you know, th- uh, just to see what they do. Right. Because I got stuff. Okay, thank you very much. Sure, my pleasure. And now let's, Jane, could you do it kind of quickly? Well, I hope I can, Mike. Uh, first of all, a plant came up in my main garden. It had tentacles. It was very, very army. And it had white flowers that had an odor. Secondly, I had a plant come up in my spirea garden, a bushy plant with spires with flowers. So can you tell me what the bushy uh, plant is in my spirea garden? It reminds me of a spirea, but it has white blossoms. I did not plant this plant, the same as the plant that I had in the main garden that I moved that had huge blossoms, but they had an odor. That's why I moved them. So can I have your comments on these two things? Well, to to be honest with you, without seeing them, it's a little bit tough to tell what exactly these plants are. What you can do is if you can take a picture of it and email them to me, then I'll go ahead and, you know, send you some comments back resulting or with the result of what I figured out that the actual plants are. Oh, okay. Well, according to, I, I looked up online in the botanical garden, and it said that this bushy one in my spirea garden is actually like a snow mound spirea or a reasonable facsimile of one, and it it's just wild. So anyway, I will do that. Thank you for your show, Mike. Well, thanks for having me on your show. I greatly appreciate it. Yeah, and if it's a, you know, it's a type of spirea, you know, generally spireas are, you know, they stay pretty true to the root system of the original plant and have, let's say, a rebel come out of nowhere like that. They're not transmitted by seed or anything. So just see how, send me the pictures and I'll see what I can come up with. Mike Miller, KMOX Garden Hub. I will be back after the news. We really need new phones. T-Mobile will cover the cost of four amazing new iPhone 15s, and each line is only twenty-five dollars a month. New iPhone 15s? It's better over here. Only at T-Mobile, get four iPhone 15s on us, and four lines for twenty-five bucks per line per month with eligible trade-in when you switch. Minimum of four lines for twenty-five dollars per line per month with auto-pay discount using debit or bank account. Five dollars more per line without auto-pay, plus taxes and fees. Phone fee at twenty-four monthly bill credits for all well qualified customers. Contact us before canceling account to continue bill credits or credit stop and balance on required finance agreement due. Thirty-five dollars per line connection charge applies. See T-Mobile.com. Calling all pop culture enthusiasts. Are you obsessed with all things celebrity? Do you live for the drama, the laughs, and the unexpected moments that unfold on social media? Then you're going to want to tune in to the Comments by Celebs podcast. Join us three times a week as we deep dive into every aspect of pop culture. Whether it's dissecting the latest trends or just chatting about your favorite celebs, Comments by Celebs has you covered. We have new episodes out every week. Follow and listen to Comments by Celebs on the free Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcasts. Now, at your service. Welcome to the St. Louis Composting Garden Hotline with Mike Miller on the voice of St. Louis KMOX. Yes, folks. It's the Garden Hotline tip of the trial hour, and I'll be giving that shortly. But right now, you can give a call 314-436-7900 or 1-800-925-1120 with your ideas, questions, concerns, or comments. Mr. Kelly, if you relocate... 
Is that going to mean it's going to take you longer or shorter distance time-wise and everything else? It's about a mile and a half from where I am now. Oh. So it'll add about, you know, 30 seconds, depending on how fast I <laughs> How many deer? It'll depend how many deer get in the way. But, yeah, it will, it'll take a couple extra minutes, but that's about it. So, yeah. well, that's not too bad. But I'm closer to the golf course. So. <laughs> I didn't know you played golf. Well, I haven't, but I'm planning on – now that I don't have as big a yard to mow, I – might play a little golf every now and then. Oh, you're kidding. Yeah. You don't look like a golfer. Really? No. Well, I, why not? I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm not really a golfer, you know, so I, that makes sense. But, yeah, right. I haven't played in a couple of years, and I want to get back out, and uh, I, I won't have quite the garden. We'll still have a garden, sure. but I won't have the yard to mow. Right. Which I'm going to kind of miss. Right. Because our yard, I like mowing our yard, Yeah. you know. When so. I said you didn't look like a golfer, you look more like a hockey player. Well, okay, I will take that. <laughs> Let me take my teeth out. How's that look? That look better? Oh, it really looks good. <laughs> Great. Thanks, Brian. You bet. Yes, folks, and thanks to you for having me on your show. We can discuss plant selection, carriers for, ups and downs, and all around. Annuals. I'm still surprised at the you know pansies I have in pots. Some of them are starting to melt down, but I still have quite a few that are still looking pretty good. It's going to be interesting to see what happens to them in the next few days when it gets way up there. Of course, the difference for, you know, cool season annuals like pansies and toad flax and things like that, they don't really care. Or, you know, cool season vegetables, uh, they don't care if it's 99 or 95 or anything like that. It just starts getting hot and they, they're impacted. And my elephant ears and cannas are really starting to erupt, coming up out of the pots and everything else that I have them. Ground covers, house plants, lawns, perennials, roses, trees, shrubs, vines, or water gardens. I'll share my thoughts, but please remember my answers, comments, and opinions is not the only garden path to take towards success, but strictly offered for you to consider. James is producing, so when you call, he will answer the phone, and also when he's not answering the phone, He's pushing all the buttons and making sure that you can hear me. During the week and weekends both, I do landscape consulting, which I call a walk and talk. Today after the show, I'm headed out to Chesterfield off Clarkson Road. Actually, off Wilson. And anyway, uh, I'll share when I come to your home all my experiences, 40-plus years, and uh, hopefully it will be to your advantage. Tip of the trial is a special recognition for individual group or situation that's made an impression on me and is brought to you by St. Louis Composting, 636-861-3344. March for life, lives, I should say. They get the tip of the trial today. That's the organization that's coming, and they're having all across the country, and they're one here in St. Louis down here between basically along City Garden. And uh, it's sort of the anti-gun you know, people as far as, Having people with you know rifles and things like that since you know there's been so many shootings in schools and other places as well, so that everybody that's organized work you know working with that coming downtown just be careful because there's going to be a lot of people down because of baseball games and everything else, but if you do come down and you get to see a cool garden too the city garden that's a stretch between uh, the Sarah sculpture and Keener Plaza. And a lot of neat plant material and everything else besides walking for a real good cause. My wife, Tracy, she was, you know, considering coming down. She was asking me about, you know, how about parking and things like that. Yes, there are parking meters. There are parking garages. And so 
just realize if you are coming down, just be prepared for that. So anyway, tip of the trial goes out to the March for Lives, and that's uh, sort of as a result of the shooting and the shootings that have happened. It just seems I don't, I don't quite understand, you know, what what the stimulus is for somebody that does something like that, like recently in that elementary school. It's just totally crazy. But again, tip of the trial goes out to March for Lives, and that's happening today across the country at various locations. So if you do have any questions or concerns, 314-436-7900 or 1-800-925-1120. Let's get a call or two before we go to break. Let's go to Virginia. Hi, Virginia. Hi. Um, Mike, I have a Japanese maple in my garden right by my front, I guess, porch. And with all this lovely rain, it has just grown believable. It's bigger than ever. Now, I don't know how to trim it. Do you know anyone who could tell me how to do that? I've had this tree for 55 years. Ooh. So is this an upright one, or is this one that looks like an umbrella? Umbrella. Okay. They can get, I mean, pretty wide, that's for sure. So, I mean, you can just... uh, uh, go to your favorite garden center and just ask them if there's somebody on their staff or if there's somebody that, uh, you know, they could recommend that could uh, come. And I don't know if they're going to be able to tell you how to prune it without seeing it. But right. uh, No, I'd be glad to yeah. have somebody come and do show me how or do it. Yeah, just go basically to your favorite garden center and ask them if they've got a staff member. And uh, that's probably what I would do. Okay, I sure thank you for your information. Sure, my pleasure. Yeah, the, the thing people don't understand about those that variety of Japanese maple is I've been to some houses where they're like 12, 14, and almost 16 feet across. It's a huge thing, and we don't really plan on getting that big because usually when you buy them, they may be one or two feet across, and then you you know place it. You think this is going to be a good spot, and I guess that's what's happened to you. It's just overgrown the area. I planted it that, all those years ago, and I took care of it, and I'm now 91. Whoa. And it's hard for me to go out there and keep my garden going, but I'm working at it. All right. Sounds perfect. But I just don't know. It just Since we've had all this rain, it's just bigger than ever now. <laughs> when I first got it, I knew how to prune it back to make it look like the Japanese maple. <laughs> right. But I, I don't know how to get out there and do that right now. <laughs> well, I can understand. Just, you know, that's probably the best thing you can do is uh, get somebody that really knows what they're doing. Okay. You don't have any recommendations, do you? Well, I can tell you Timberline Professional Tree Care, They, I mean, it's a tree service, and they could come out and help you. Okay. So Timberline Professional Tree Care. Okay. I I really I'm writing all that down while I'm listening to you. Okay. I got it. All right, great. Just give them a call. Thank you. Uh-huh. And let's try to get one more call in. Let's head to Bob's yard. Hi, Bob. Hello. Hi. Mike. Yes. I uh I got some Australian pea seeds. That I've had, for, I just found I've had them for eight years. Do you think they would bloom? 
<laughs> well, I don't know. It's worth a try. Good what luck, you could God. do is just put them in a wet paper towel, keep the paper towel wet, and see if they're going to start, if they actually pop open and start growing at all. That would indicate that you could go ahead and plant them and see what happens. Okay. What, what time of year should I put those in? I would, you know, probably I would just go ahead and do it now because as old as they are, you might as well find out right now and just get them going. Okay. All right. Well, thank you very much. I'll give it a shot. Sure. Good luck with that. Mike Miller, KMOX Garden Hotline, back after these messages. Serving St. Louis for over 96 years. KMOX. lines are open, folks. 314-436-7900 or 1-800-925-1120. About uh, what you should be doing is in relationship to the weather we're going to be having for the next few days. Extra watering, is that what you should be doing? Not necessarily. That's not going to be helpful to the plant material. But anyway, let's go over to Sherry's yard. Hi, Sherry. Hi, Mike. Hi. Mike. I was wondering, I have petunias, and this is my first time dealing with them, and this is my second pot. When their blooms go away, when they die off, should you pluck the blooms? Should you cut away at the the plant? Or how do you keep them looking lively and colorful? Yeah, you're talking about just regular cascading-type petunias or ones that are more or less bushy? Yeah, the well, ones that are, now, you know. <laughs> Because I bought two different kinds of plants, and I didn't know that. <laughs> I so I was trying to learn, and I'm like, oh, I, I don't know what to do. Yeah, if you've got the cascading ones, and once the flowers are finished, just cut those flowers off and cut back okay. about, you know, about an inch or so on the stem, and then fertilize them on a regular basis for sure. So like every two weeks, you know, get an all-purpose fertilizer like miracle Grow. And fertilize them routinely, and that's going to be about the best things that you can possibly do. And don't let them go through any kind of drought stress, but definitely don't overwater. Should I put them in the garage since the storm is coming up? Oh, no, I wouldn't bother with that. But uh, you could if you want to, if you're really that concerned with it. But if you start moving them around, they should be, I mean, they should be okay, I would assume. But if you're concerned, yes, go ahead and move them. Okay, and then snap peas. What do I do about snap peas with this weather changing for the heat? Yeah. And I noticed last time I had them, they don't like a lot of heat. No, they don't. There's nothing you can do. <laughs> so you can't cover them up or anything? No, or? that's not going to help at all. I mean, shade is not a factor. Oh, wow. you know, Because, you know, yes, the air temperature is really high, but also as the sun and the air temperature get as high as it is, the ground temperature gets really high, and that's you know that can be the trigger mechanism that says, to the snap peas. Well, that's it. You know, we're gone. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Oh, wow. So I'm just kind of, oh, okay, just let Mother Nature do her thing. Yeah. I mean, to be honest with you, there's not too much we can, you know, I mean, this is a very difficult area to grow plant material because of the transition zone we're in. And uh, further north, they can, it's entirely different. Further south, it's entirely different. But we've got all those things butting heads against each other, and that's where why it's so difficult to you know, have successful plants here. Yeah. Okay. So because this is my third year, and thanks to you, I've been so inspired of gardening. Uh, my third year gardening, and I'm learning so much from just listening to your line and 
Oh, boy. Uh, we're our station. And the other call is coming in. I want one last question, too. Sure. My grass that has uh, brown patches, it's just like dead patches. Like I've raked over it and everything, and it just it's, it's just not coming back. What should I be doing with that? Uh, basically, do you have a dog? No. No dog? But we so, have neighbors with dogs. Okay. Do they, they come into your yard? <laughs> I think so, probably. Yeah. That might yeah. be related. I mean, that might be the situation. But also, lawns, like I said, with this transition zone, uh, if it's a cool season lawn, like a fescue or bluegrass, and it's, I mean, those kind of dead patches just more like, I don't want, I don't want to say happen, but that's really what occurs is they just do happen. It could be fungus-related. It could be all kinds of different things that are, that are a cause of it. If you really are concerned about them, uh, just dig up a, about a six-inch square of where it is the brown color and then where it transitions to the green, and then take it to your favorite garden center and have them take a look at it because they can look at it and see if there is fungus or if this is just, you know, whatever. Well, with bears closing, where do you go? <laughs> well, that's true. That's unfortunate. So, Oh, boy. Uh Okay. Well, thank you. Sure. Thank you so much. Yeah, my pleasure. Yeah. Unfortunately, Bears Garden Center is going to be closing by the end of the month. That's sort of a sad story. I was going to talk about it next week. But anyway, uh, let's go over to Ken's yard. Hi, Ken. Yeah, are you there? Yes. I have a Cleveland pear. It's about 20 foot tall. It's been blooming for like 15 years. Beautiful. Now, half of the tree isn't blooming at all. I think it's got the kind of disease that those pear trees got. It was going around for a while. What did I do to save that tree? Not too much. I mean, the injection, uh, is it still leafing out, or is you just worried about the flowering? Well, half half the flowers of the tree are blooming. The other half is just, there's no not blooming at all. But how about leaves? The leaves are falling off, too, on half the tree. Yeah, that's, it probably has, you know, I mean, that's not a really good sign, so... I would say you can enjoy it for as long as you can, but it's probably on the downhill spiral. I thought so. Well, thanks for your advice, sir. Sure, my pleasure. Thank you, sir. Bye. Yeah, I mean, it's what this disease is is called fire blight, and it looks, you know, makes some you know some of the branches. Once it gets interior inside and causes what you you were describing, basically, then it's in the vascular system. And there's really not anything that can be done to get, kind of get rid of it. So that's what the you know the circumstance is. So that could you know that's uh, too bad, but that's uh, the unfortunate one of the bad aspects of the pear tree is it does get that. And uh, I mean there, you can see some great ones, but uh, you'll see or you'll know that a lot of them have not made it as a result of that fire blight. But anyway, let's go now to Bob's yard. Hi, Bob. Hey, good morning. Good morning. I am going to place you in the middle of a marital debate. Uh-oh. Yeah, not 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 terrible. So every morning I go out and I like to water. We have a raised garden and a raised blackberry bush. We just have things around in pots around the deck. So the debate is when I water, I like to wa- you know, water the soil, but I also spray the leaves. So, you know, zucchini, you know, the regular stuff you would have in your garden. Right. She says, oh, don't ever water the, the, the foliage. It's, it's bad for the garden. It's bad for the plants. So there's the debate. The debate is, is it bad to water the foliage, or is it okay to just sprinkle it down? Any, any, any suggestion? 
well, let's put it this way. When rain comes, does rain get on the foliage of the plant material? You are my favorite person. That was my <laughs> that was my thought. <laughs> okay, yeah, that that was kind of what, what, what my side was where it's just kind of natural that this happens. Right. But I mean Okay. You don't have to put, you know water the foliage all, you know every day, but uh, no, it just gets sprinkled. You know yeah. how it happens with the spray. Yeah, sure, right. So I would say oh. I wouldn't be overly concerned with it. Now there are going to be some plants that, as a result of that, just you know whether it's rain or whether it's you know water out of a hose or anything else, they could get powdery mildew on the leaves and you know other factors that are fungus related. But there's nothing you can really do about that. That's just you know part of the circumstance of nature, just in general. Okay. Okay. All right. Well, hey, you helped us out today. All right. <laughs> All right. I'll send you Take a bill. <laughs> yeah. No. <laughs> Counseling services are high. Right. All right. I appreciate your help. Sure. My pleasure. And let's now see what's going on with Cheryl. Hi, Cheryl. Hi, Mike. Hi. I was wondering if you could suggest a couple of tropical type plants uh, that will be good for uh, sun like a, a hot afternoon sun and make it through the summer on a patio. Okay. And uh, basically you're just talking about houseplant tropical type things or uh, something that grows maybe three or four foot tall that she could bring in during the winter. Uh, probably I would, there's lots of different ones. I mean, if, if you wanted to, you could bring them in, but you could grow something like there's a variety of canna, C-A-N-N-A, and the canna, okay. you can get some of the shorter varieties are going to have yellowish leaves. So, But at the end of the season, the growing season, then you just cut the stalks off, pull the root system out, put them in a paper bag, and just store them in the basement. So that's one. Another one would okay. be there's a, a, a very colorful, tropical-looking plant that uh, you could bring inside in the wintertime, and it's called Croton, C-R-O-T-O-N, or Codium is the botanical name of it. And there's all okay. kinds of different colors, and they got very colorful leaves. So that would be okay. two of them to consider. All right. Thank you so much. I sure. appreciate your show. Yeah, my pleasure. And, I mean, there's lots of different ones. You could just go just wander through the garden center and just, you know, they're going to have areas where the tropical plants are and they're going to tell you, I mean, you could do even something like spider plants, which shoot out, spy, you know, let's say, little bitty spiders, you know, out of the, but they're really not spiders. They just look like spiders. Or there's wandering Jews. There's all kinds of different things that can handle, I mean, the, the sun that you are, the amount of sun that you described. So anyway. Good luck with that, Cheryl, and uh, let's go to Jane's yard. Hi, Jane. Good morning, Mike. Hi. <laughs> Mike, I've been out in the backyard deadheading some rose, uh, knockout rose bushes, uh -huh. and I had five beautiful knockout rose bushes, and then the tornado hit here in Kirkwood and came down our street and just whipped those rose bushes into a frenzy. So that the next morning, uh, the roses looked terrible, and within three days, they were all dead. Eee. So I, I'm out there deadheading them of all these dead um, buds and roses. And can I look forward to these reblooming this season, or are they goners? Uh, it really all depends. I mean, do you have no stems at all with any kind of leaves on them? Well, yeah, I have stems and leaves. It's the roses right. that were wiped out. So 
just the yeah, just the actual flower. So as long as the, the shrub is healthy, maybe get some rose food to feed it. But uh, you sh- they should be okay. You, you should get some. You know, some. It may take them a while to kind of catch their breath and you know start the flowering process again. So they're probably not going to be as robust as you know colorful wise as what historically you remember. But uh, they should be okay. Oh, good. Okay. They will live through the tornado. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, okay. We'll, well, Mike, thank you. You've given me some hope because they were so pretty, and I had worked so hard on them. Right. And uh, knocked myself out on my knockout roses. <laughs> so, well, thank you, Mike. Sure. I appreciate the hopefulness here. <laughs> <laughs> my pleasure. And uh-huh. 314 or 1-800-925-1120. Back after these messages. Hey, it's Tom Ackerman. Join me Monday mornings at 9.50 for our new feature, Five Minutes with Number Five. And you know who that is, Albert Pujols. Five Minutes with Number Five, Mondays at 9.50 a.m. on The Voice of the Cardinals, KMOX. Let's head over to Charlie's yard. Hi, Charlie. Hi, Mike. How you doing? Very good. I uh, I think I know the answer. Last year, I bought the hardy hibiscus plants. Uh-huh. They they grew great. They looked beautiful all summer long. Then in the fall, I did as the direction said. I cut them back to about four inches above the ground, so I had this root looking or stalks. Right. This this year, nothing has happened. They look the same as they did. When I cut them back, yikes. it looks like, yeah, yeah, yikes, what I said. It looks like dead wood, and I think that's exactly what I've got. Uh, is there a reason why that would happen? Or, you know, I thought maybe they'd come back, but I think it's too late in the year to even think about it. Well, they still may, so I wouldn't necessarily rush out and, you know, yank them up out of the ground. But uh, I would say wait for another couple weeks before you decide that they're not going to do anything. But the only thing I can think of is the location. And generally, the hardy hibiscus, depending upon the variety, they can kind of take a wetter soil. Would be the you know the amount of rainfall that we had for a newly installed plant because they were brand new last year, and then the rainfall this year that could have caused some root rot to them, and that would be the only sort of a diagnosis I could give it. Oh, okay. Well, like I said, I I thought I was doing everything according to the directions. Right. Uh, would the, if there is new new growth, would it come out of the woody part, or would it come out alongside of the woody root? Basically, it should come out of the crown. So, in other words, where the stems that you still have existing. Uh, and the root system meet, so right below the surface. The new growth should come from there. Sometimes it can come from the stems, but for the for the most part, you're going to find it's going to be generated coming up out of the ground as opposed to off the stems that you've cut back. Okay. Well, like I said, I've got it in like, uh, I have two of them, and I have them in like these 18-inch pots. Right. So they're plenty big pots. So I'll give it to the 1st of July, I guess. And right. I don't see anything growing, uh, I'll yank them out and put in uh, hydrangeas or something else. Right. And But just realize, I mean, even in pots with our you know, screwy weather and everything else, uh, a little bit iffy. So just realize that. I love growing in pots, but uh, 
There's been certain things that I've not had great success with, and maybe this is, you know, with these hibiscus, that's just kind of the situation. Okay, well, when I bought them, I was told I could do it, put them in pots, leave right. them outside year-round. Right. Well, they were outside, but they just never came back. They just, uh, <laughs> yeah, I, I mean, nice in reality, you should be able to, but uh, which is, as I continue to say, over all the years and everything else, our weather is so screwy, Individual situations, you know, where your particular plants are, maybe somebody a half a mile away or even down the street could have success. But, you know, with the exposure or whatever, just those just, uh, you know, bad luck. All right. Well, thanks for your uh, your help. I, I'll give them a shot. Thanks, sure. Mike. And now let's go over to Sue's yard. Hi, Sue. Hi, Mike. Hi. Um, where they were talking about wintering over plants. You told me last year that I could winter over some of the dark um, elephant ears, uh-huh. and I did. And they came out just beautiful. And they're really nice this spring. So uh, that worked out very well. Great. Yep, I had three pots of them in the house uh, right next to windows, and um, and they've come back just really nice. So thank you. Well, my pleasure. Yeah, and the croton. I have a croton that's five foot tall. <laughs> so you've had I've it had, for a while. <laughs> I've had it for years, and it does very well in and out. It goes out in the deck, and uh, as soon as it's warm enough, right, and comes back in as soon as it's cold enough. <laughs> Sounds great. <laughs> so I just wanted to thank you. <laughs> oh, my pleasure, and. Uh, Sounds like you're quite the plant person yourself. So I have a good windows. <laughs> and I think that's the key to it. <laughs> well, and just a, you know, a certain skill and things like that it make it so you can have good success. So I'm glad you've had success. Thank you. Okay. Bye bye. Yeah. Bye. And now let's go over to Ruth's yard. Hi, Ruth. Yes, Mike. Wonderful program. Uh, my sun-loving plants are not doing much. They're just sitting there. They're healthy, and they're not rotting, but they're not blooming. Could I hit those with a, a Bloom Buster fertilizer, or should I wait this week out of, of the heat and the sun? No, I'd go ahead and fertilize them. Okay, so great. So fertilizing and heat doesn't have anything to do, you know, to be detrimental. Okay. Wonderful. Thank you, sir. Yep, my pleasure. And let's go now to Grady. Hi, Grady. Hello. Hi. Uh, I love trees, and I'm concerned about an ash tree. It's about 25 years old, and I, I hear news that there's nothing wrong that I can see on this tree. But I, I know that years ago they cut all the ash trees down that were down there on the on the arch ground. Right. And now I've recently heard that the city of St. Louis, I'm in the county, but now the city of St. Louis has identified ash trees and they're going to cut them down. I don't think this is right. I just feel kind of stressed by it. And I, I keep thinking about that the ash tree was a star in a Robert Redford movie called The Natural. <laughs> What's really going on? I mean, I'm I'm really I'm affected by this. Right. What can you tell me? Well, basically, it's you know what they're trying to do is by eliminating it is just to stop the emerald ash borer, 
And by getting rid of it, and that's the emerald ice borer impacts only ash trees, and that's why this is you know happening over and over and over again. So it's migrated all the way from the east coast, and they're just trying to say, okay, there's not going to be any ash trees. Maybe after a period of time, ash trees are going to be able to be replanted. But right now, there's still, you know, problems, and that's why there's what's happening that you've described as happening. Well, can't, can't you treat a tree? Is there a treatment for a tree that gets that bore in it? Well, they can, but uh, generally people, by the time they realize that the problem is there, it's already too late to treat. How would you identify the problem? Well, it's, you know... Basically, it's, you start to see sort of like a major branch or something. All of a sudden, that was healthy routinely a few, you know, over the past few years, just start to go, to go downhill. And so it's really, you know, it is somewhat difficult. But also what you can look for is in the bottom, about three feet of the trunk, look for like small, like almost the size of pencil lead holes going into the tree. And that's ah. where the, where the uh, mature... You know, adult as a female or, you know, that's getting in there and laying the eggs. Ah, okay. Three foot from the ground. Yeah, the bottom few, you know, bottom few feet. Just watch for, you know, holes about the size of a pencil lead. My goodness. My goodness. That's a unique disease. <laughs> well, it's an insect, actually. Insect, yes. Yeah. Okay. Well, thank you. You've you've given me a little more information on that, but I I really have felt stressed by, you know. I think that see that's that's what the Louisville Slugger bat is made out of, right? Ash, right? And uh, wow, that could that could really. I don't like it. <laughs> well, nature is kind of screwy. Well, thanks anyway. And good luck with that, and good luck with your ash tree. Mike Miller, KMOX Garden Hotline, back after these messages. This is the St. Louis Composting Garden Hotline with Mike Miller on the voice of St. Louis KMOX. Let's go over to Matt's yard and see what's going on. Hi, Matt. How you doing, Mike? Very Thanks good. for your uh, service. I'm in. Uh, I've got an oak tree that I have in a 16-inch pot grown from an acorn out of the botanical garden I picked up one time. <laughs> it's about a year and a half old, and I think you told me a year ago to wait till it's about two and then plant it in the yard. Is that right? Yeah, that's sure. That's fine. That's perfect. I wouldn't, and, uh, I wouldn't take it ahead. out of the pot and plant it now, though. I would wait until we get into, like, mid-September or something. Perfect. And I've got a uh, I got drain tile out in my yard that I think I'm going to put it within maybe 15 feet below that because it stays wet there. I can't cut it anyway. It's too soupy. <laughs> but, well, some oaks can okay. handle wet, but some oaks cannot. Oh, no. Yeah. Oh really? Okay. Right. So just okay. be—I mean—be so, conscious of that fact. There's it's very clay soil underneath the topsoil I just put in. So right. All right. I'll move it away from there then. Right. Perfect. Yeah. And so I mean, there's a swamp oak, which was fine. Generally, the pin oaks can handle pretty wet soil, but some of the other oaks cannot. 
Yeah, this is a big old acorn that uh, my guide told me I could pick up and try to grow it, and I did. So, <laughs> well, congratulations. <laughs> All right. We'll see if it survives. All right, great. <laughs> Thanks. Thank Thanks, Matt. And now let's go over to Ruth's yard. Hi, Ruth. Hello, Ruth. Turn down your radio. Let's go. Let's go to Linda. Hi, Linda. Hello, Linda. Hello. Hi. Hi. Um, as we speak, I'm cutting some brown off of a foxtail fern, and I have a Boston fern too, so I kind of know how to deal with that. But I grew a foxtail fern in the ground before, but not in a pot. I kept this one in a pot. It's on my patio in the shade. So I wanted to ask, how often should I water this? Is the brown coming from not watering often enough? Do they need, you know, really moist soil, or what should I do? It's got a hole in the bottom of the pot I put it in, too, so it can drain. So it drains out every time you water. Yes, so it can drain out. Probably, if you can see the inside of the pot, just water it every time that you start to see the you know the the mix that it's growing in shrink away from the pot and create a gap between the the potting mix that it's growing in and the inside of the pot. That's when I would water. Okay, so you don't think that that this fern needs to be constantly moist. It could have some of the the bonds or whatever you call these things turning brown because of too much moisture? That could be certainly the case. You know, it's just, okay. uh, and just being in a pod just kind of in general may be not be the ideal thing for this particular variety. Yeah, I didn't know. I, I've i seen them grown in the ground in California on Coronado. And that's when I, <laughs> that's when I fell in love with them. So. Right. Yeah, and I don't know, like, if they hit a sprinkler system on that and watered them, at, you know, every day. It was at the Hotel Del Coronado. I'm like, wow, those are cool ferns. So, right. Yeah, they, yeah, uh, and then, yeah. yeah their, their hardiness, as far as here goes, is going to be somewhat, uh, you know, iffy anyway. Yeah, I didn't have any problem with it out in the ground, but I didn't bother. I didn't bring it in in the winter. So, okay, okay. well, I'll try watering a little less then. All right. Thank yeah. you. Love the show. Okay, well, thank weekend. you. And uh, thanks to all the listeners. And uh, you always hear me talking so much about soil samples. Here I want to give you some a little bit of insight on the soil sample. When you're doing a soil sample, please make sure your soil sample is dry before you submit it to the University of Missouri or any kind of company that you're su- submitting it to. So leave the soil sit out overnight on a tray with a newspaper or any kind of, so in other words, you just kind of have the pile of dirt on a newspaper out in the, you know, not out where it's going to rain or anything else. Your sample, if it's too wet and brought to the office, it, it's going to have to go through a, a drying process anyway before it can be packaged to be shipped. Pull the samples from various areas of your lawn or garden. And you just, you know, so in other words, if you've got lawn, backyard, take samples from just the backyard front yard just take samples from the front yard and do the, do i mean have the you know those samples tested and put your samples you know and mix them together so you can get the better results and what you want to do you want to have about 2 cups of soil and that's about uh, the same as a sandwich bag or a quart size uh Ziploc bag full of dry again dry soil samples. 
and it's going to take about 10 to 14 days before you're going to get your results back. But I continue to talk about that. And if the soil is wet when you take it, it's going to take extra time. So just make sure that it's dry. And just realize that uh, February, March, April, May, and June, those are the busiest months for soil samples. So just keep that in mind. And again, what the soil sample is going to tell you is test results will tell you the status of the nutrients in your soil, like phosphorus, potassium, calcium, manganese, percentage of organic matter, the soil pH, and things like that. So those are really very, very important. And what the soil test indicates also, soil conditions have a huge impact on plant health. And the pH and nutrient levels will change over time, as I keep emphasizing. If you're using the same fertilizer over and over and over again, it could be really problematic. And you may be over-fertilizing. So that's what the soil sample will tell you as well. Soil samples, well, just go to the University of Missouri Extension. There's on East Monroe and Kirkwood, there's an office that you can drop them off there. Or you can just go online and find out where you can have them shipped to. And the cost of a soil sample is going to be less than $30. Let's put it that way. I don't know the exact amount anymore. So just take good samples. And soil testing is really, really crucial. So everybody just have a great day and enjoy this last day that's not going to be extremely hot before it gets really hot. Mike Miller, KMOX Garden Hotline. See you next week. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. T-Mobile has invested billions to light up America's largest 5G network from big cities to small towns, including right here in yours. And great coverage is just the beginning. Right now, families and small businesses can save up to 20% versus AT&T and Verizon when they switch. Visit your local T-Mobile store today. Plan savings with three lines of T-Mobile essentials versus comparable available plans. Plan features and taxes and fees may vary. Calling all pop culture enthusiasts. Are you obsessed with all things celebrity? Do you live for the drama, the laughs, and the unexpected moments that unfold on social media? then you're going to want to tune in to the Comments by Celebs podcast. Join us three times a week as we deep dive into every aspect of pop culture. Whether it's dissecting the latest trends or just chatting about your favorite celebs, Comments by Celebs has you covered. We have new episodes out every week. Follow and listen to Comments by Celebs on the free Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcasts.